at the time, very bizarre. I was living in a bungalow in the middle of Hollywood working for well-known people in L.A. in their homes. <laughs> and here I was in my tiny bungalow canning like crazy and storing food. And I actually had chickens in my little front yard. I had a couple chickens. Chickens in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> wow. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Ona Lee Weatherford's journey with farming and food started here in Washington State, took her to New York, L.A., and back home. And she shares why she's back here after the incredible experiences she's had as a chef who's now growing her food in rural Whatcom County up in the very northwest corner of Washington State. You'll enjoy this story as we continue our journeys here on Real Food, Real People. I'm Dylan Honkoop, your host, and this is documenting my journey all over Washington State to reconnect with the real people behind our food. Talk about what you grow. (laughs) Um, Well, a lot. This is our first year here at this property. Um, This is my first year growing this much on my own. Um, We've got... Peas, cucumbers, melons, tomatoes, ground cherries, chard, collards, radicchios, sunflowers, peppers of all kinds, <laughs> um, corn, squash, pumpkins, a little bit of allium, some turnips, beets, carrots. <laughs> That's a lot to keep track of. I'm going for it. Yeah. <laughs> also, each one of those has their own quirks of like oh. what they want, how they want to be managed, right? Yep. And like I said, this is our first year here. So this is the first year figuring out where the soil's at, what kind mm. of pests we have, how they get in, where they harbor themselves. Oh, yeah. Let's not forget all the wildflowers and herbs. <laughs> yeah. And the chickens. Yes. Got chickens. Who are making themselves known. Yeah. Topping normally isn't this loud, but he tends to kind of, he's a little (laughs) bit of a protective rooster. So yeah, he's kind of flexing on us here. (laughs) So what do you do with all this food? Is this just for to feed your family? Yeah. Yeah. And neighbors, but yeah. And neighbors. I'm going, well, this is kind of the first step into my personal goals as well as business goals. Um, I I guess it's really mixed. Um, so I, my, on my mom's side, they're all farmers in eastern Washington and Idaho and Oregon. Um, so I grew up out there in the summers. And then in my own personal life, I started working in restaurants when I was like 14. Hmm. Um, and I did. There's, there's one. One, one <laughs> car in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> um uh, I started cooking in Seattle and then I trained in New York and then moved mm. to LA and did that whole roundabout thing. Um, came back to Washington and then well, actually, no, before I left LA is when I started to first work on farms. I worked on a goat farm in Altadena that had goats for TV appearances. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, little different than up here in the like very farthest Northwest corner of the country. Yeah, Totally. It's um, bizarrely north, but honestly, I really like how, uh, I love how quiet it is. It's nice. Um, I've had a lot of people mention, um, you drive 40 minutes to Bellingham? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're like, I can't believe you do that all the time. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I would much rather drive 40 minutes to Bellingham than live away from where this is. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Um, But anyways, yeah, so when I moved back up to Washington State, I was working in more kind of farm-to-table restaurants and splitting my time in a farm in Snohomish. Um, I did some farm schooling. Um, And then, and Clara's was originally opened in Los Angeles in 2013. Um, But yeah, basically, I've kind of just been building up to where I want to be, which is raising the food for my own business too. So yeah, talk about your business. <laughs> Clara's. What 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 is this? What's it what's where does the name come from? What's it all about? All right. Um I started Clara's in Los Angeles in twenty thirteen. Um Clara's canning. Yeah, Clara's canning. Whole, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the wake of my grandmother Clara passing away. Mm. Um she was my country grandmother and she had ten kids. She raised them on a farm. <laughs> Um, at some point she lost her husband and continued raising her own family on her own, cooking, sewing, cleaning, raising the food, working on a farm, apple packing, working in the post office. 
all of those. And she near at the time of her passing, she had 106 grand and great grandchildren. Wow. You would receive a letter or a card or something every single birthday. She was an incredible person with, I don't know where she got the energy, but mm-hmm. um, in the summers, basically summer camp was going out to my family's house out there. We would go from grandma's house to aunt to aunt to aunt to uncle because there was a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and we canned and baked and we spent a lot of time in her little backyard in rural city. And when, later when she moved to Afreda... Um, like 10 or 20 or 30 of us out there canning bushels of peaches and corn and tomatoes. And um, those memories are probably some of the best of my childhood for sure. Um, so when she passed, I was attempting to preserve that. Um, and I didn't think I was going to start a business about it. I just started canning because I was heartbroken and I wanted to remember her. Mm. Cause that's what she did. Yeah. Well, when, when, like, how old was she? What era did she grow up in? So she was born in 1929. She survived the depression on a family farm. They raised chinchillas to get through. I don't know how that was the moneymaker, but they actually didn't end up doing so bad. Um, in those times, it was whatever you could do, <laughs> yeah. right? But like canning, I mean, yeah, that's how a lot of people survived that time. A hundred percent, and that's why. I guess it ties all back in to now. Um, Originally, it just started with heartbreak and trying to resolve my grief and trying to preserve her memory um, because I lost my mom when I was 14 and she was there the whole time. Um, So it felt like losing another piece of my mom and it was just a lot. So um, I didn't really know why I was doing it. And it was kind of... At the time, very bizarre. I was living in a bungalow in the middle of Hollywood working for well-known people in L.A. in their homes. And here I was in my tiny bungalow canning like crazy and storing food. And I actually had chickens in my little front yard. I had a couple chickens. Chickens in Hollywood. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and, you know, some people thought it was quite bizarre, but it was honestly the only way I could manage living in a big city like that and doing that type of work back then. Um, so I got into, I was continuing private cooking um, and doing Clara's full-time both. And uh, down there in LA, I was predominantly selling canned foods and selling at farmer's markets and things like that. Um, since I've been back up here... Um, in Washington state, um, Claire's has transformed a lot and finding the right kitchen space and getting through the permitting and things like that to sell. And also just my fear. It's like canning food for people. <laughs> it's a little, I mean, I am very confident in my ability. Obviously I've never hurt myself or anybody else, but right. it's a big responsibility. Yeah. Cause if you mess something up, what, like Foodborne illness stuff, yeah. right? Botulism, <laughs> kill yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, it's an intense thing. I mean, it's something I absolutely, like I said, I have a hundred percent faith in. Um, but also, right now, I feel more connected than s- selling people things. I feel more connected to teaching people things. I want. I mean, and I do want to do both. I have long-term goals for how I want <clears throat> Claire's to continue to evolve. Um, But that kind of brings us up to where we're at now in this current uh, part of history. Uh, (laughs) I think we're in a period where people have to have, whether you did that with your family, whether you've never done it before, I think there is something that can, like, this was only two, really two or three generations at the most that we lost this type of um, self and community preservation skill. Um, and I think people, I can see them light up when we're doing classes. I can see something inside of them, uh, something clicks. And I don't know if it's like a genetic memory or if Mm. it's just that proud, like creating something you can put in your pantry for years that you made yourself that's safe, that either is something that you grew yourself or you got from a local farm, like, um, it also, I think, wakes people up to the connection to where food comes from and the producers. Yeah. So right now, I feel like where I'm being called the most is subsistence farming for my family, <clears throat> raising my son in that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and providing that type of education and experience to people in our community. Um, Because I also think that, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of people out there with a lot of money or in positions of power telling us that they have these new deals and new plans to save the world, and I don't think we need anything new. I think we have to return to something we've all already known. I think that the decentralization of food and the... I mean, because that stuff gets all big and scary. And, like, honestly, I kind of, I mean, I do know a lot about it, but I kind of avoid it in a way because what I want more for people is them to feel an excitement and a joy in just rekindling it. I don't really think that anyone needs any more weight of the world on their shoulders. I think not only do, (laughs) does the food system need to become more decentralized and small and together, uh, I think where our focus is needs to be a lot smaller as well. There's so much happening just within, just on this little tiny road. There's always stuff going down. And there's people, there's enough people that I have to focus on that, like, I don't watch the news. I don't, I mean, I pay attention to what I need to pay attention to. Um, <clears throat> but paying attention to my community, my family, my neighbors, I, who has more time for anything else? Yeah. Well, people make time by not being as present and I'm as guilty of that as anyone. Oh, I mean, because that's what it is about being present with your community rather than your head in your phone all the time, Mm -hmm. work stuff, like you said, media and news. That's that's what I used to do. Mm -hmm. I was a news guy. Yeah. And when I left that world, I had to kind of detox. Yeah. Oh, I understand that. Yeah. Cause I was like, and it, it started, you know, when I was young, as I'm just fascinated with it and follow all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But eventually it just became this burden. And, and I think that evolved with me personally at the same time that it was evolving in our culture yeah. to become this kind of heavy, like you said, it's carrying a weight. And do I need to carry all that? People need to carry, what people need to care about is a lot more about the people that you directly can have an influence or uh, a part you can partake directly in their um, assistance. Yeah. Obviously, there's larger world events that we do have to pay attention to, but the media circuses we are being thrown into is disastrous. We've never in history ever been subjected to something so incredibly vast and so uh, constantly traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, uh, like I said, I do think it's important to be informed, and I think that... <clears throat> It's our job to understand how small things radiate outwards connecting to larger pictures for sure. Um, For me personally, I do tons of my own personal research by going directly to sources Mm. and reading charts and reading graphs and abstracts and... Other than just Googling. Studies. I don't... I don't necessarily need someone to interpret studies and information for me. I can read the information and connect it to other dots and come up with what I understand, like what I understand. And maybe, you know, I can reference like a trusted source. I think there are a lot of people who are experts in their field who interpret. Um, I'm not an expert. So what what kind of stuff do you research? Food systems, um, I'm very new to what I'm doing now in a way like... I have lifelong experience with a lot of things that surround food. Um, But if you want to look into soil, if you want to look into the history of heirloom seeds or seed saving, you want to look into the like health of soil, uh, agricultural systems, those are all such vast topics. And the amount of time I actually do get to sit down and research things is not massive, but... Those that basically what I mean is that like I could put my head down into those things and focus on my community, my family, my neighbors and have no time for anything else but that. And I also know that from what I've understood through researching, through speaking with other farmers, through experiencing in my family and uh, the way that we grow food and the decentralization of food is the answer to a huge combo of problems. That, um, like I said, there's a lot of people out there offering solutions to try and reduce the harm to uh, <laughs> that their systems cause, but right. they still want the systems to exist. Right. Uh, and I think that people feel really hopeless right now in a lot of ways. They feel powerless. But 
even if you're just growing a few tomato plants and some potted herbs, even if that's all you can accomplish in growing, think about the amount of waste that reduced just there. Yeah. Um, and also I tell people to start with herbs and tomatoes because it definitely goes a lot farther once you get into it. It's addictive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but that is something so small that is so powerful. And it is so helpful for you and your family, not just only like physically, but like mentally, emotionally, spiritually. That's pure joy. Yeah. So um, while I am still a private cook and I do, I do still run a business and I teach classes um, and I'm working towards larger goals, uh, like I said, I feel really called right now to help people process the hopelessness because I feel like with the amount of loss that I've experienced in my life, I've been in that place that felt so hopeless. And honestly, the thing that pulled me out was like growing food, yeah, my chickens, mm-hmm. <laughs> canning, um, and connecting with my neighbors and like people yeah. and my family. I'd briefly like to stop here and, and thank our sponsors, Dairy Farmers of Washington, for one. They've been sponsoring the podcast from the very beginning. We appreciate their support, and we appreciate the stories that they share as well about real Washington dairy products, the farmers, the cows, the fields, everything that produces delicious and nutritious dairy products here in Washington State it's like almost nowhere else in the world. And you can find out all about it at wadairy.org. They've got events. They've got recipes, farmer stories, nutrition information about dairy. Check it out. Again, wadairy.org. Also, Mana Insurance Group, uh, another sponsor of ours here on the podcast. We're very thankful for them. And we're very thankful for their mindset, which is, not just to pick up the pieces when things go wrong, even though they'll certainly do that, but also to help you plan ahead to protect your financial future. They protect mine. They'd like to protect yours as well. And you can check them out online, manainsurancegroup.com. Now back to our conversation up in, I guess it would be Kendall, Washington. Maybe the address is Sumas. I don't know for sure. Uh, rural Whatcom County uh, with Ona Lee Weatherford. What made you feel so hopeless? What What was that time like for you? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> um, so uh, my parents split up when I was really young. That honestly was probably the least of my worries as a child. Um, my mother married someone who was very uh, disastrous. I'll put it that way. Mm. Um, and while I still have compassion for him and what his struggles were, uh I feel like in a lot of ways they ended, they resulted in my mother's uh, illness coming back and her not being able to take care of herself. What was her illness? She had cancer for the first time when I was about four. Um, And so she originally went to a place called the Oasis of Hope in Mexico that was like an alternative cancer treatment facility because she knew how... uh, painful chemo was to go through so she was just willing to do anything else and it worked she was cancer free 100 percent, no surgery no chemo um and it lasted 10 years but the issue was uh it was contingent on a diet that was pretty strict and um in the depression through that relationship uh she wasn't able to continue on that diet and it was also very expensive um so when the cancer came back around again, um, she did not have the money to do the alternative treatment, and she basically refused to do standard treatment. And at the time, I was really upset because I was like, you just do whatever you have to, I guess. At this point in my life, I understand it's everyone's personal choice. It's yeah. no one else's business. You know, so she passed away, and that was I was 14, um, I felt I was very lost as a teenager and as, uh, early twenties, but I feel like cooking saved me, um, working in restaurants, even though it's kind of a wild place. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was young. Hey, um, and I started working well, so I went kind of around Seattle, but I moved to New York city cause I thought either I would be, I would get into arts or I would cook. Um, and cooking worked out first. I ended up training at the Spotted Pig with April Bloomfield. Um, so I moved to L.A. Uh, I married 
divorced and I married very young. I married the first time at 22. Um, so basically I'd just been processing the loss of my mom. Then I lost my grandmother. Then my marriage fell apart. <laughs> um, and then I just had a feeling it was time for me to get back to Washington. Uh, so I packed up my little pickup truck on the goat farm in Altadena. <laughs> just like, I just moved back home on a whim. Um, I just had a, uh, a feeling there was something up with my dad and there was, uh, he was diagnosed with stage four brain cancer, um, within a week, the, about two or three weeks of me moving back home. Um, so I feel like. Clara saved me the first time when I was dealing with uh, the loss of my grandmother and my divorce. Um, during my dad's illness, I had to put pretty much everything down. I was still working on a farm. I was working at Sitka and Spruce in Seattle cooking. Um, and then, but I didn't have the capacity to run a business. Um, yeah. So... After two years, two months, and two days, uh, my dad passed away. Um, and then within two weeks, I was pregnant with my Lloyd, <laughs> who was named after my dad and my dad's grandfather. Uh, so after about two years of, you know, just taking care of a baby, um, we ended up back up here. And I reopened Clara's in 2018. Um, 2019. So I feel like Clara's has kind of saved me again, uh, <laughs> over and over. Um, and in a weird way, it's like I said, uh, I'm pretty, you know, I don't want to be a downer to people. And I know that people are like, I don't want you to get too personal when it's your business. I'm like, but this is like, <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot I think of that's the important part, though. It's the humanity <laughs> of it. Well, you know? it's like farmers aren't raising food because they just want to be a business. Uh, artists aren't making art because they just want to sell you. I mean, some are, but there's a lot of people out there who are putting their absolute entire heart into every single thing they do, which is another aspect of what I enjoy is propping up other people and talking about what other people wouldn't say about themselves or their business or what they produce. Um, because of what I've been through and because of the amount of work that I know goes into creating food and creating art and creating products, um, I feel like I can speak on others' behalf in a way that <laughs> I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I will be your biggest cheerleader. Um, and I want customers to know that. Um, and we kind of mentioned, you know, the double-edged sword of social media, it's a wild beast and honestly sometimes it is overwhelming but at the same time it's the way you use it yeah um my mostly who i'm following is like farmers creators writers and inspiring people in general um and i feel very connected through it and i feel like i've been able to create so many little micro relationships with so many customers and clients over the years. Um, I have people that have stayed with me from the very beginning, uh, 2013 iteration of Clara's all the way to now. Um, and I have people who have hopped on it because during COVID with shutdowns, um, I, uh, it was very hard to, I mean, events and private cooking and all that was just yeah. gone. So, yeah. Uh, I ended up doing delivery picnics and um, basically doing like farm to table delivery food for people mm -hmm. and like fancy dinners that they could eat in their garages with their friends and stuff. Um, and that was a very, very successful program. Um, however, that was uh, specific to that era. It's not something I want to do. I yeah. mean, I do want to bring back aspects of it, but... Um, the overall large goals for Clara's really is like a farm bed and breakfast with a cannery mm. and raising the food for the farm, like the farm raising the food for the cannery and the bed and breakfast and having it be a place for like yeah. with education as well. So um, originally Clara's was you canning food and selling it. Yeah. Right? Farmer's markets in Los and yeah, in like the Los Angeles area. 
And now that it's evolved through mm -hmm. multiple stages of your life, yeah. Right now, you you're growing food just for yourself, not mm -hmm. to sell. But but your business is sharing your knowledge with other people, right? Like yeah. education is your primary outlet yeah. via and Clara's right now. Education, private cooking, and then the farm store, which is like connecting customers to bulk amounts of local food so that they can store food. And so if I'm going to sell you a 25 pound or 50 pound sack of local wheat, I have to show you how to do stuff with it. Right. Um, if I'm going to sell you a bushel of peaches, you should know how to process it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... It kind of is all encompassing in that. And like, it does kind of seem, you know, and it is still in such a evolutionary phase that at times, it, if you were to just jump in right now, or if you haven't seen kind of the bigger picture, there are people that kind of need clarification as to like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, well, uh, I'm building something I'm building towards something that I've seen in my dreams essentially for years and I don't necessarily have the uh, funding to just build it all in a day yeah. um, so yeah. I'm taking the long road and again with social media people are so used to seeing things happen so fast and so quick um, but that's why I am pretty grateful for everyone that follows and interacts with me um and who is in it for the long haul talk about your cooking i'm interested in that like you started way back when yeah. being trained as a chef yeah and <laughs> probably worked in some pretty fancy places yeah i'm uh i've got michelin star training in my background yeah wow <laughs> um so my very first cooking job was at a tiny family Greek restaurant in Lower Queen Anne in Seattle called Panos Kleftico Greek Taverna. Um, some of the best Greek food I've ever had in my life. Mm. Um, it was a family operation, and basically <laughs> my mom's side of the family, me and a bunch of cousins and my siblings, uh, were like the workforce there for about 10 years. Uh, we wow. even at one point had an apartment above the place. Um, it was very funny. Uh <laughs> Um, and then I worked at Emmett Watson's Oyster Bar in the Pike Place Market. Um, so I had my very classic Seattle, like, go-to spots. And then um, in 2000, late 2008, I packed up a van and moved to New York City. Um, my dad was born and raised in uh, very many generations Washington State on my dad's side, but he also had grown up in New York partially. Mm. Um, so when I was picking places, basically when you want to cook and you want to do like, and this is changing, which is cool because I think you shouldn't have to move across the country to get a good resume. Um, yeah. you still can for sure. But at the time it was basically San Francisco or New York city. And I was definitely like, it's going to, it's New York city. Um, so we hopped in a van and we moved across the country, uh, moved into, uh, back then, you could still live in very interesting warehouse spaces in Brooklyn for very cheap with 20 other people. Wow. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I originally started at a place called the Manhattan Inn. Um, and then the, some of the people, the cooks and chefs that worked there had worked at places like 11 Madison Park and... Um, I don't remember anymore, but <laughs> I know that for sure. Um, anyways, they had great resumes, and it was a very small, interesting cafe, and they basically said, like, you got to go do something. You have to go push yourself, and I was like, okay. Um, and I was a bit of a wild child, uh, so I, start <laughs> I started at the Spotted Pig with no culinary arts degree, no official, real formal training. They kind of, like helped me slap together like they taught me like simple words like mignonette and brunoise <laughs> like very simple things that they're like if you're gonna fake it you have to like look and act and talk this way i'm like okay um didn't work i mean i'm sure they saw right through the fact that i really had no idea what i was doing but i had a lot of heart and i had a desire and i can work hard um 
My first 30 days at the Spotted Pig, I was fired. I was almost fired every single day for the first month. 100%. (laughs) The morning sous chef did not have time for me. Um, But uh, I ended up carving out a really great um, experience there. I stayed for almost three years. Um, I ended up working every single station in the entire kitchen. Um, I think if I had stayed any longer, I probably would have been a sous chef but I got to lead line before I left um and my chef de cuisine Ralph uh Johnson was moving to Los Angeles to start his own restaurant um and yeah I felt I, he asked if I wanted to go and I was like yeah why not um the thought of just moving across the country multiple times in my life now at this point is so crazy but yeah back then it was fine um, so before I left New York City, I ended up working at Speedy Romeo for Justin Bozderich, um, who at the time didn't have Michelin star restaurants, but now he has, I think, two with a star. Um, he's excellent. He's a wonderful person. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I moved to L.A. The restaurant, Ralph, opened. Um, I was, I personally in my own life was going through some things with my marriage and, uh, the restaurant didn't end up being the exact vision that we wanted. It's hard. Like the, yeah. the chefs are the artists and the owners are the money people. So it's like this constant yeah. kind of like ebb and flow. Like what can we get away with and what are we allowed to do? And sometimes there's those moments where those two components gel extremely well. Um, I was not that component. <laughs> and I have a hard time <laughs> keeping myself away from being honest in those situations um which is probably why i own my own business um because i have to be as honest as i want to be um so i ended up falling into private cooking um, because of that um how does that work you just go into someone's home mm -hmm. and it's either for parties or just for i mean there's some people that just have chefs that basically live with them i never did that kind of private cooking um I don't like, okay, I don't, I don't like the way that <laughs> there's this kind of thing when I, if I mention who or what, there's this like, kind of like, look, people get like, they want to know everything. And it's like, yeah. honestly, I really respect people's privacy, no matter who they are. Yeah. Um, so I won't say who, all I can say really is that if I walk into a magazine rack, there's still to this day, I see people that I've cooked for wow. in their homes or at the spotted pig or whatever. Um, and I had a, you know, it was pretty decent. It was a good experience. Uh, <laughs> I was like in my mid twenties, um, doing that in Clara's and I had never made so much money in my entire life. Bought myself a pickup truck. <laughs> like, you know, I don't have any of it now, but yeah, I mean, uh, you can go from that to live in a trailer with a baby on your hip in just a couple years, which is what I've experienced. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just two years, this is like funky it's a 70s mobile home it's an interesting plot of land i'm struggling keeping up a little bit with the weeds and stuff but i mean literally two years ago i was living in a trailer with a baby on my head so Mm. i'm pretty proud of myself uh (laughs) for being able to i don't know yeah it's been a really wild ride this last like my entire career basically is just uh an interesting constant evolution which uh you know some people are kind of like how do you do all of these things like i don't know how to not and this is me not being a workaholic anymore (laughs) chef life is like sometimes 18 i mean i still pull 18 hour days sometimes on like if it's you know when it's go time yeah when it's go time you have to um i can pull those out of my hat when i need to but um i don't work six to seven days a week anymore 12 to 18 hours a day every day in a New York restaurant. <laughs> but, wow. Um, yeah. So, I mean, basically my life right now is I'm a stay-at-home mom. Uh, I own and run Clara's. Uh, I am doing subsistence farming for my family. Uh, <laughs> I mean, all three of those are basically full-time jobs. I've just been yeah. able to condense everything, most things that I do, into a very small space. Um you know, say for when I'm cooking people, cooking for people privately or when I'm teaching classes off site here, um, I don't leave. I don't want to. I don't need to, <laughs> um, which is what makes it possible to do all of those things and to also still live a decent life. <laughs> 
I feel like now I've I'm most clear on what my future goals are with Clara's and with what I want to contribute. Um, and I think also too that the going from a relatively high place in my career to no career, <laughs> like raising a baby, no career, uh, lowest place um, is what has kind of driven me to want to participate a lot more because back then when I didn't have much like all I really I mean I was a food bank customer in Bellingham and farmers supply a lot of food there mm-hmm. and they're very kind <laughs> the growing veterans mural on um the guide keep growing I didn't know that this was when I first moved here almost five years ago um I didn't know that was a farm. I just thought that was someone's random mural. I didn't have any idea what it meant. Um, but honestly, that kept me going. And I would, because there was a lot of times I had no idea what else to do. Um, and me and my sister would go uh, drive around out to the county and just go to farms and find farm stands. Um, and after doing that for about a year or two before I reopened Clara's, that's like how I was able to have a source base for what I do. Um, and all of those relationships I've just continued to build on. Um, and it's been great. Like farmers and producers in Skagit and Whatcom County, just incredible amount. Like, I hope, I just really hope people know how lucky we are. (laughs) I could sing that from the mountains forever. Um, Yeah. What, what is it that you think people should know about their food and where it comes from and who it comes from? Well, I mean, something really interesting that I've researched and looked into was um, Chef Dan Barber of, I hope I'm getting his name right. He was the chef creator of um, Stone Barns. He's also like a scientist and he's done incredible studies on food. And he found like through pure scientific testing found that food that's grown not just like conventional organic is still in the conventional category as far as this testing goes, but mm-hmm. food that's grown smaller with more interaction with people and the people are like genuinely invested in what they're doing is scientific. Like it's compounds are different than food that's grown completely hmm. uh, mechanized and industrially. Um, so there is like, and you can feel that. I mean, you can, I do like when science <laughs> aligns with what we feel. Yeah. I love when science can prove intuition right. But um, there's a spark in food that is grown by people who care about it. And I think it, hey, Nathan. <laughs> I think it behooves. The neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it behooves people to invest in that not only for the people that are growing it but for their own health and that's why it's such a it's a symbiotic relationship to put your money into not only your own health but into your community Mm. um and well i mean i'll keep saying it but i really truly think that people participating more actively in local food systems will have such a huge part in saving the world as Mm. it is now so, I mean, if you feel hopeless, if you want to save the world, eat local food and grow food, even if it's a pot of herbs, and let yourself get addicted and grow on. <laughs> <laughs> What's the biggest challenge to all of this? What's the biggest challenge <sighs> with growing food? It's heartbreaking sometimes. Um, even for plants, but, like, for chickens, uh, we had to figure out, like three different designs because we're out in the wild here (laughs) i've lost eight birds this year Mm. uh every single one i raised from a chick and that was heartbreaking um it's hard to have the time to keep up with the amount it's a constant it's literally a living organism it's a it's a essentially (laughs) a homestead or a garden is like a cell that you create that is an an organism that constantly needs some type of interaction from you yeah there's a lot of perennials and a lot of easy things you can toss in there and that's great but making sure that you can find the time is really important but 
I'll also be the first to say that like, even with how proud I am and even with how happy and joyous my life is now, I still struggle with depression. I still struggle with overwhelm and freezing. So like, I feel like that's another aspect that I try to, I'm not going to pretend that everything's perfect online either because I think gives people the wrong impression. I want people to know how hard this is. But even with how hard it is, it is the most gratifying thing you'll do. Uh, I, th- I think we're coming around to that as a culture <laughs> yes. where we've been told like the easiest way is the best way. And I think there's a strong desire to like, no, I want to do hard things and feel rewarded for having done that. Yes, absolutely. I think that it's that is the illusion breakdown. And again, we can always come back to how the Internet is a double <laughs> sword. Yep. People are able to see through a lot of before before we had access to a wider database. Essentially, um, you really had to just accept the information that was provided to you from only a certain amount of channels. And convenience culture was sold to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, every single time we've been to a major war, coming back, you know, post World War II era was a huge evolution as far as convenience food goes. Post Vietnam era was a huge evolution post desert storm mm-hmm. huge evolutions that's a whole different yeah we could talk yeah, about. For sure and we won't yeah. <laughs> but there's reasons and there's connections there um but i think now people are finally starting to understand that we have been sold somewhat of a lie as far as the convenience culture goes because yes maybe it's convenient now but uh the cost or the health issues later that's not convenient <laughs> so you can yeah. put the work in now mm. and that is truly sustainable not only for you but for you know and it, the other thing i love so much about it is food is for everyone and producers span the gambit of types of people um and because of my dad's side being more artists and designers architects um my dad's grandfather was the uh, architect designer for the floating bridges to mercer island in seattle Lloyd Lovegren, um, and on my mom's side, they're country folks. <laughs> so I have a 50-50 experience with both sides, and I've lived my life essentially half in big cities and half out in the middle of nowhere. I think I'll stay out here for the rest of my life, but the other, I can see both sides, and I can see the bridge that we need to gap with mm. people. Um, and Yeah, how, how do you do that? You have, again, plenty of time in the big city. Yeah what yeah what is the gap that even needs to be bridged first of all if you don't know somebody you can't understand them and you can't respect them and that goes on both sides Mm. um city folks don't really know country people and they have these again media assumptions based on who they think they are stereotypes (laughs) yes Um, And they're easy to dismiss based on these stereotypes. However, on the other side, again, there's a lot of stereotypes as to who non-rural people are that country people are getting (laughs) from different sources. City slickers. Yes. They're people too, and they may not be as dumb as you. No, and nobody is. And honestly, that's another thing that would truly save us is like, why are we putting so much effort into putting our hopes into these folks that we don't even know that are <laughs> coming from far off places, uh, creating laws from buildings we'll never see, letting them dictate who we are and who we will or will not interact with. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, people are starting to kind of <sighs> break out of that a little bit. Um at this point, I feel like maybe the need or severity has grown to the extent that people are starting to, if this was a fence and the fence that you're looking at is like the media blocking out what you should be looking past. Like at this point, I feel like a lot of people are starting to kind of be like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, I'm not saying don't participate in the, like everyone's free to participate in what they want. Um, but what if we put that much effort, A, into local government and to each other, as opposed to like, I don't know. And so if I think at this point, the more people understand in cities who producers are, 
And the more producers understand who their customer or like their base is. Um, because again, if the, if people are going to return more to family style farming, then yeah. you will have so much more connection to your customers. Whereas if you're doing bulk farming, then bulk or co-op farming, you're not really having any interaction with them. So, yeah. you know, that connection is lost. Um, but like, uh, like Steensma farm, they were doing bulk dairy for a very long time and they broke away and they're starting to make their own products from their own dairy. Yeah. And go to farmers markets and do that whole thing. Um, and we had Ellie Steensma here, uh-huh. one of the the two sisters that are going for it and taking on the next generation of that yeah. farm. We had her here on the podcast. Oh yay! Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I um I did the food for Ellie's wedding. And she actually works with me now. Oh, that's yeah. so great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, their story and their farm is so inspiring and so beautiful. Um, standing in a barn that like four or five generations of people lived all in that same place that still exists. It's still, and they're still evolving. They involve, they've started to utilize robot milkers, um, (laughs) which is incredible. Like if that's what you need to continue and to actually evolve and progress forward, like incredible. That's great. Um, Mm. and I think that. Because uh, that's the heartbreaking thing is there are so many farms that don't have those children at the end of it that want to do this stuff. Yeah. And with the cost of real estate and things in Whatcom and Skagit County, it's a big paycheck to some people to cash out. And sometimes the farm needs a lot of work. There's a lot of struggle and I don't, I'm not judging where people take it, but when people can salvage it and carry it forward, I mean, because that's actually a huge drive for me. If I were to not grow food or farm, I would be the first generation on my mom's side to not. Mm. That I would be the chain breaker. Um, mm. There is no generation that exists on my mom's side that didn't farm to our knowledge. So I can't. <laughs> that seems like a generational curse. I can't allow it to happen. <laughs> curse um, or a blessing? Well, that's what I mean. Like if I were to not, like I just can't. There's nothing in me that could let that go. Yeah. Um, and there was almost a break in the chain because like I said, my mom, uh, in her, she was raised on a farm and in her first marriage, she was a farmer, um, and she divorced and married my dad and he's not a farmer uh, or he wasn't. Um, and she wanted to go more into arts. So my first three siblings were raised on a farm. Me and my sister were raised in Seattle, um, so there was already kind of that disconnect, but just from having that connection of going back to Eastern Washington and seeing my family yeah. and being there um, was what kind of, uh, and like I said, I feel like if I have the ability to kind of be a conduit between two different areas, if I can yeah. combine uh, rustic, comforting, like country food, but with a higher end training if I can connect producers to customers and customers to producers, then like, I feel like I have to, I have to do that. Um, and if I can be the one in my family line that doesn't let the chain break, then I have to. (laughs) So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I won't say I'm an expert and I won't say that I'm like, uh, I've got the biggest, most beautiful thing going on, but I'm doing it. But that's the whole point. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. And that's what it's I real. Want. Yes. And that's what I want people to know. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter if you kill things. It doesn't matter if it doesn't always look beautiful. Like, just start somewhere and don't let it be that would hold you back. Um, and, yeah, I mean, and like I said, I still have my moments and there's still grief and there's still uh, life, but I have never been more fulfilled and more happy and more, um, there used to always be this kind of constant anxiety and like Mm -hmm. fear and tightness and just like dread. And I had no idea really where it came from. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was a lot of, uh, like solutions that were proposed to me from a medical standpoint that, uh, a didn't fix it and B and uh, no shame to what people have to do. Like I, but for me personally, um, I've found that, uh, I just, I needed to be completely grounded. Um, 
Uh, I needed to be grounded in my surroundings and I needed to be connected to something. Um, and, you know, there is a heartbreak that there isn't a farm in my family to pass down, really. But um, just the idea that I could be the one that starts that for yeah. hopefully Lloyd and yeah. whoever else comes along. Um, I don't know. It's just a lot of those ailments for me have kind of dissipated and also just the hard work. Like yeah. putting like I really truly think that like ancestrally speaking, if you go way back into like our uh prehistoric selves or more like primal selves that we have these buildups of anxiety and all this stuff because you need those like kind of those kind of uh energies or chemicals go into either hunting or gathering or finding or that like right. am I gonna be able to come up with enough for today? Yeah. If you don't do that anymore, what's it, the where's it going to go? It yeah. turns into violence towards each other, and oh, like you know. And to me, it's not. I mean, because not everyone kills their food, technically speaking, I suppose. But mm. um, no matter what you eat, whether it's vegan or meat or whatever, the most important thing is where it comes from. It's not really the what, and the how is also very important. And yeah. I think. Uh, being able to exert the amount of energy that I have towards something that actually, because that's the other thing, I have a lot of energy. I have the ability to work very hard, but when you're constantly going out and providing that energy to something else, that when you go home, it doesn't, I mean, maybe you get a paycheck, but yeah. it's not building towards your own survival and subsistence in your life. Um, it's really like defeating. It's defeating to go out all day and work that hard and not really, I mean, yeah, you can pay the bills, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's really important for people. Well, thank you for having me here yeah. to the farm yeah. and for being willing to share so much of your like personal story Yeah, because that's where your insights really come from. Yeah. You know, that's the why Yeah, you're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've said this before to other, like I share it because I know that I'm not unique I know that lots of other people struggle with these things and it seems like we kind of have a we have an issue with coming to terms with grief. Yep. Um at this point I can't be afraid of it. <laughs> it's yep. been so forefront in my life. Yeah. Um and also at this point the feeling of pushing through all of those things to continually push forward and get to where you're going is so great essentially everything's a wavelength if you have your lows way down here you can have your highs way up here as well mm -hmm. but you have to climb to get there yeah um and all i want is for people to get there yeah um and i want people to be able to hold each other when we're in our lows and that's the other point it's no one you can't do anything alone really it all takes yeah. each other community yeah, yeah. <laughs> where can people find you online become part of your online community <laughs> um i'm on tiktok and instagram at clara's canning and then my website is www.clarascanningco.com um and those are my main avenues right now yeah awesome again great to get to come out here and see the farm mm -hmm. this is an incredible place <laughs> thank you and you've got a, a an amazing story as well oh thank you i so appreciate it thank you for for everything for for the visit and and for sharing everything yeah i appreciate it so much it's been great talking to you this is the real food real people podcast these are the stories of the people who grow your food 